Alrighty, folks, welcome back to another episode of Ramblings of a Grappleman. I'm Matthew Priest, and being joined here today by a very special guest, and actually, he's the sexiest man in this room, and just about any room he walks into. I'm being joined by Drizeko. Welcome aboard here, Drizeko. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, you know, happy to have you on here. Um, we haven't had much interaction with each other, um, so this is going to be a good, this is an exciting podcast for me, because... We're going to be talking about something that's both very near and dear to both our hearts, and uh, you being on the new generation, if you will, of wrestlers, and me kind of being on the older generation of wrestlers, but one thing stays constant in the world of pro wrestling, and that is technical wrestling, and that's what we're going to be discussing here today, so what made you a fan of technical wrestling? Um, for me, technical wrestling is just, it's more of an art then uh like that that's really like the roots of professional wrestling is technical wrestling whenever whenever i watch like a technical match and i see that there are two people that actually like they know it so well that they don't have to like call spots that they can just go into this thing and then into this hold um i think it's like pretty powerful and like shows the level of skill uh that people have like Zack Saber Jr for example is my favorite technical wrestler okay um, and like when I watch his matches, I'm just like, like, this is something different, you know, this is something different than like I'm seeing now because like when, I, when I'm calling a match, it's something where, um, we're, we're thinking about all this stuff that goes together or whatever. And we're thinking of how it's going to go together. But when you're, when you're at, as good as he is at technical wrestling, it kind of just flows. You don't have to say anything. You just know that. Oh, I he put me into this. Now I'm gonna put him into this because it makes sense. They just keep following the same, the, the same, same chain. Yeah, which is where the term chain wrestling comes from, which has many different definitions. So, like technical wrestling, a few people have different definitions on it. Um, I've always looked at it as a. I like how you use the word art form because when you do watch a guy who's a very good technical wrestler, it is like watching an artist go to work. The canvas is, instead of it being paint, is where they're putting on their holds and their moves. I think it's where, to me, a good technical wrestler is every single thing they do is for purpose. It makes sense. Every strike counts. Every hold matters. One thing leads to the next in the chain of events, as you were saying, whether it be just all holds or you know, strikes included as well. So the guy who got me and turned me on to be, and when I realized what this term was and why I liked him was Bret Hart. Bret Hart was one of my biggest influences. And then other guys I realized I liked were all good technical wrestlers as a fan. So other than Zack Sabre Jr., like what are some other technical wrestlers that influenced you or that you enjoy to watch? Um, honestly, I so I started from Zack Sabre Jr., okay. Uh, and then I started kind of like branching out to other people. Uh, I don't, I don't really like remember their names to be honest. I just have a whole playlist uh, on on YouTube of like wrestling to study, mm -hmm. and I'll see like oh, like I'll be watching a match and be like this is technical wrestling. I'm saving this to wrestling to study. Um, I mean, I said it sounds kind of shitty to not remember people's <laughs> names or whatever. But like whenever I see like anything that I haven't seen before or seen. Uh, like, just some type of, like, different hold that I've never used before, I save it just because I want to be able to implement that in the future. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so you're looking for more of the innovation of, of holds 
and to improve yourself. Yeah. Um, it's just funny to hear you talk about how you're studying, my studying, that's where the generation gap comes in, because I was a VHS tape guy watching and being like, okay, they have my Bret Hart tape or my R. Anderson tape or my, my Stephen Regal tape or William Regal tape or whatever you want to be, and I had many different tapes, but they were all technical wrestlers, Greg Valentine even. Um, so I'm going way back, and now yeah. you look at the new generation, your generation, you got Zack Sabre Jr., you're just looking at guys on the internet, essentially, to learn new techniques, new holds. Um, I guess that is a way, because back, back in the territory days and wrestling coming up, they always say, oh, you leave the territory and go learn a new hold. Now you just put on a YouTube and you can learn a new hold, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's crazy. I mean, obviously, like, I've had, I've been in the age of the internet, so I've had the internet my entire life. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it would be like to, like, be in the tape trading days. <laughs> it would be, I mean, like, I, I, honestly, I don't even know what I would do. Like, I feel like I, I would just be, every time I was able to buy one, I'd be like, all right, I'm spending all my money to get as many tapes as I can. Yeah, that's how it was. But you, you know, you'd be, it was hard, because for me, I would just record um, the pay-per-views or whatever, like WWF, WCW, I was a kid in the late 80s and early 90s. So I'm recording, or you, you rent the tape for, uh, once I figured out technology and that you could record from one VCR to another, that was groundbreaking stuff back in, as a kid. Yeah. When I was a kid. And, you know, you could record, you know, whatever WrestleMania was, and then you have your own master copy where you're like, oh, I can watch this and study it. But um, when I was in my late teens and early 20s that's when I started getting into tape trading and a lot of it you just found on the the beginnings of the internet the back of wrestling magazines you know some people but um yeah you, you would watch the tape and rewind it and watch it over and over again and like DVDs made it a lot easier but now with YouTube I mean everything is out there you want to learn how to do something you can do it you want to learn how to you I mean I think I think there's many wrestling schools that even put out tutorials on how to do just about every move yeah which is crazy to me um, but you know, Zack Sabre Jr. is very innovative and he's got that British style. William Regal was my guy that my generation's Zack Sabre Jr. in a sense where he was doing these things that he was just different than everybody else. And, you know, chain wrestling was a thing for him, what I liked and Zack Sabre Jr., you're probably far more up on Zack Sabre Jr. than I am. I've seen probably a dozen or two matches, not a whole lot, but he'll use a sequence of moves and get back to the same hold. He'll hit the arm drag, he'll get you in like a, a wrist clutch suplex, and he'll get right back into that same wrist lock from either one. And then he might bump, 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 and the other guy might bump him. He'll put a, a, a spot together, but he'll get right back to that same wrist lock that he had and been working. And that's the art of a good technical wrestler. Um, and that British style is very technical driven. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, so I do apologize. No, it's all right. But uh, with... So I, I mentioned and asked like other other guys like that, but I guess just who are some of your influences and other than Zack Sabre Jr., who are wrestlers that you looked up to and made you want to become a wrestler? Honestly, the the wrestler that really made me want to become a wrestler was Edge. Okay. Um, just because he had so much personality and like so much like fire behind him, and uh, he was just one of the most captivating characters uh, that I had like ever seen. And when I had started um, watching professional wrestling, I was. I mean, I had watched it as a kid, but then when I when I really like got into it, it was like two thousand nine. So I think I was probably like thirteen or fourteen or something. Okay. Um, just yeah, I saw so I saw Edge, uh, John Cena was a big one at the time sure. as well. Uh, Triple H, um, 
And then I didn't really, like, start get, getting into, like, people that weren't just WWE guys until, like, high school kind of time. That's when I, like... Because I didn't, I, didn't I didn't know who, like, AJ Styles was, for example, sure. like... But when, as soon as, like, I started, like, typing stuff in on the internet and being, like, oh, I want to see, like, more wrestling, mm -hmm. and, like, because all I thought, my perception, there was only WWE, I didn't know, like, that there was, there was Impact, that there was Ring of Honor, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? There was New Japan. So, like, when I finally started, like, diving into it, I'm like, this is, like, a whole different, like, world of wrestling. And, I mean, I like WWE, but, uh, like, there's this, like, very, like, I mean, I think everything needs to be, like, good storytelling and whatnot, but um, just the wrestling styles of, like, Ring of Honor or of, like, in Japan is different. The wrestling yeah. styles of British wrestling is different. And when I finally started watching British wrestling, I was like, wow, this is, this is like, something special, you know what I mean? Because, like, where there's all these spots or whatever going on, like, these people, like, these people are just doing it. And, like, the more that I found out about, like, professional wrestling and then, like, after when I was, like, in training and was, like, realizing everything that went into professional wrestling is when I kind of, um, when I kind of, like, saw how special British wrestling was and, like, technical wrestling was. Um, just because it's, like, I just think it's so different from everything else. You know what I mean? It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, it's, it's good to know a little bit of backstory there because Edge, um... You know, his back background was he was on the indies, especially when he worked in this area. I was I was going to I went to an indie show that Edge was on before he was in WWE. So, oh really? Yeah, it was uh, I think what is now known as XICW was ICW at the time. It was probably ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere in there. One of the first ever indie shows I went to, it was him, Christian, Joey Legend, Test was in the group. It was like a faction of these four guys. Yeah. How are they called? Something life the Life Boys. It was a weird group. But those guys were all there, and they stood out because, to me, they were the best guys on the card, and they were all technically sound. Um, whenever Edge threw a punch, I remember really just throwing a simple punch. It's like, that looked better. You know, he had a good snap on it. He made it count. After he hit the punch, he grabbed the guy by the arm, drug him out of the middle of the ring, took him over, grabbed the hold, and that punch meant something. He didn't throw three, four punches in a corner with shoot the guy off, give him a hip toss. You know, he punched the guy, grabbed the hold, got back to his advantage, so... That's when I was like, oh, this guy's very technically sound. I liked him, and, you know, Christian. And you can tell, and I think a lot of that goes back to the, to the British influence, um, especially up in Canada, where all this was coming from. Out of back in the day, they talked about the Stampede Territory, where uh, Stu Hart's company, and the reason that was so diverse and different than anything that was happening in the States is because you had a lot of Japanese influence. You had a lot of British influence. And then, you know, you have your, your Americans that would go up there, Guys that had been in New York, former WWF guys, or guys that were in uh, the NWA that had worked the territory system. So you had a melting pot of all the different styles. Where in the U.S., none of the companies were really having that. Even in Toronto and Quebec, Quebec yeah. had some of had some of the British influence as well on that Eastern Canada style. So then it all melts down. This was before before it was widespread on television. So as it became more widespread on TV for the generation before me, and then in my generation. Canada was always looked at as that different because you had that melting pot. And I think that's what makes a good technical wrestler is they have that little bit of a British style. They have that little bit of a Japanese style. And they have that um, that psychology in America. Because British and Japan psychology is very different. Um, and I think you if, here in the U.S. you have to have that, that story-based 
like you were saying, yeah. psychology, and that, that, that happened up there in that melting pot of the stampede territory, where I think a lot of that came from, because you know, Bret Hart's always the guy I go to, and you know, Dynamite Kid, and, and uh, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, and you know, and Owen Hart coming out there, all those guys, when you watched them, they were different than anybody in the 80s and early 90s, and coming up, those were the guys that influenced, were influenced, very influential to myself, and they laid the, the backdrop for technical wrestling. And I've had a conversation before with, uh, with about Ric Flair. Was Ric Flair a technical wrestler? I would argue and say yes, he was. At times, I mean, there were times where he was just, you know, your typical territory guy, bumping feed boy, where he's just getting thrown around the ring, people yeah. making the guy look good. But when Ric Flair was on offense, he was very technically sound. I think a lot of it comes from the AWA style. And the Vern Gagnas, which is derived from the amateur stuff. So the more of the U.S. technical style is a lot more amateur-based. Um, and the influences that have, have come out of there uh, with your Ricky Steamboats and your Flair and then that stuff. So technical wrestling is, I think, in all of the greats that are out there. And even in like this generation, I look at a guy, um, you know, you mentioned AJ Styles. I think when you look at his TNA work, that's where I was going with this, because you mentioned Edge and then AJ. It yeah. took me a long way to get there. Yeah, yeah. But So AJ Styles in TNA was considered a great high flyer. And now you look at him in 2020, and I think he's the best technical wrestler in the WWE right now for sure. Yeah. Everything he does has a purpose. He still does the flying element, the high flying element, but he's turned into all around and putting, to me, some of his best matches together... Um, they might not be the most exciting as they were 15 years ago, but they're the best story, they're the most logical, they make the most sense, and as a fan, I enjoy watching AJ Styles in 2020 more so than I did in 2004. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of, wrestling's weird, I guess, because, um, like, what's gonna, what's gonna make more money? Like, is the story gonna make more money, or is, like, Spot Fest gonna make more money? Because you can do, you can do, like, these crazy high flyer spots, like, all day. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but there still needs to be some type of story there. Like, I, I feel like those types of spots should, like, there's nothing wrong with doing them. I just think that they should be reserved more. Um, I agree 100% there. Like, it, I just think that it's done a little, a little too much now. Like, it, it's at the point where, I, I think it's just, I think where a lot of that stems from is, like, people being competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm going to have a better match than you tonight. Uh, or at least they're saying that in their head. Absolutely. Um, and you know, like I mean, it's a good it's a good mindset to have, like, because everyone everyone wants to have the best match on the card. Yeah. Like I don't, like if someone says that they don't want to have the best match on the card, they're either lying or they shouldn't be in wrestling. Um, but it's an interesting point. I can I have something to say about that. <laughs> Go ahead. For sure. Uh, but yeah, I just I think that like making a interesting story is uh is more important, and I think that. I'm not. I mean, I'm not someone that thinks that like it should be uh, like total like the whole match should be technical wrestling, but like showing that both people have that skill, like the skill set to um, go at it like that, because uh, it, it it's more of um, depending on like what you're doing, you're showing like more of like an amateur style background, and it's like oh like maybe this guy like you know knows what he's doing or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like the story that you can build up. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, technical wrestling I think is the backbone to a good story told. Going to the high, what you were saying about drawing money. More 
promos? As I was asking the question, how many moves have drawn money? I don't think any. <laughs> right. They only have one move every five to ten years that a guy does that might draw a small amount of money to a, low, a small show. The, high, the die-hard wrestling fan that's probably going to come to the show anyway, but they might be there. Case in point, like a Canadian Destroyer, for example, if you, you know, 15 years ago, Petey Williams being put on a card was like, hey, I want my buddy to see this move this guy's going to do. Yeah, He's the only guy doing it. Now you see him seven times a show. But there is an instance where a move can draw very, very little money, but a promo is going to draw far more money than any move. Your mouth is going to draw you far more money than your athleticism. Your character is going to draw you far more money than any sequence of moves you can do. So why guys risk their bodies and do these high spots just for that competitive nature and just to impress the, the fans that are there to try to give them their money's worth you don't need to do that because while you're saying everybody's out there to have the best match of the show, that to me is the new age of thinking and that's what's hurting the pro wrestling business. Yeah. The best match of every show should be the main event. There's only one match that should be the best match of every single show and it should be the main event. Every person on that show, this is my opinion, not the opinions of, Dr- <laughs> of Drizeko out here, if any promoters are listening, this is mine and this is why I have this. I'm, um, this what I'm very passionate about, too. As a booker, as someone who's been involved in the creative process, and I've booked over 500 shows, I've booked a weekly show for four and a half years, every single week, same talent. The main event is the only match and the only two guys in the show that should go out there to have the best match of the show. Every other match should lead to that. A well-booked show, a well-ran show, your opening match should have some element in it, that sets up your main event. Your second match should have some element in it that sets up the main event. Your third match, fourth match, and so on. Everything should be for the show. And on the independent scene somewhere along the way, it became the Wild Wild West and everyone's a gunslinger and everyone has to be the quickest to draw, not money, the quickest to draw to get their shot off, to get their moves in, to get their quote-unquote shit in. And I think that's what's hurting pro wrestling. Well, wrestling was at a boom. And you see it on TV now. AEW's doing a phenomenal job of what they're doing. But as they get more structured, I think their show is going to get better because they just had a pay-per-view last weekend that was over four hours long. And a lot of reports came out of it. I watched it. I'm not going to give my opinions on it. But a lot of reports were the fans were dead by the end of it because they've seen everything under the sun. So by the time the main event comes around, the guys who talk to the people in the building, Eddie Kingston in the pay-per-view... John Moxley, baby. Everybody was excited to see this match, but they were tired by the time the main event came yeah. around because they've seen five Canadian Destroyers, 74 super kicks, and, and three dives in every match. Yeah. And that is not building to your main event. In my opinion, that's not the match you put on last. That might be the match you sold the tickets. You probably put your Young Bucks match on last because that's going to be the longest and you're going to do the most shit. That's my opinion. I think show structure, flow of the show, those are things very, very important to me. But not saying that that mindset is wrong, but that is the mindset that people have nowadays in every match. My match has to be better than them. And and no, your match needs to just do its part. Your opening match is to warm the crowd up. Your second match is to suck them into the show. Your third match should be to give them something controversial in a way or give them something to stuck in a fan's crop. Not every, again, not every show, just a simple basic formula. Your fourth match should be something hot. 
calm down intermission. Me personally, the only reason you have an intermission is so that guys can make money, make more money selling their merchandise. Intermission is the most waste, biggest waste of time on a wrestling show, in my opinion, because the fans come out of it. Then you got to bring them back into it. I've said it before. I've done it. I've booked shows like this hundreds of times, and I always get told you need to have intermission. But I think you give a fans a two to two and a half hour nonstop show, let them meet the guys and sell their shit after. That's me. Give them yeah. a meet and greet beforehand and a meet and greet after. Just like a movie. You don't want to go to a movie and get 60 minutes in or 70 minutes in and you're sucked out to intermission. How we went from technical wrestling here, I am not sure. You just hit a button with me that. <laughs> no, I, I feel you. Be, so go ahead. Sorry. I Well, yeah, like I, I feel like it's uh, it's about quality, not quantity. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I don't know. When I, when I first started, I was like, all right, I need to get all this stuff in. And to a certain extent, I'm still like that because of the competitiveness. Yes. Like, it's still, that still, like, kind of, like, forces my hand, I feel like, to, like, call more stuff because, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to be, like, viewed at as, like, oh, this guy doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? Right. Um, That's the mindset of the younger yeah. indie worker. Um, but, like, because everything is just devalued so much, like, um, like, I can't. I'm not gonna do a move if someone else. If this is someone else's finisher. This is someone else's like big move that he's gonna do. Mm-hmm. You know, like obviously, like like suplex for example. Like everyone can do a suplex. It's not like yeah. a move that's really like pegged to one person. But if there's like if there's like a move, like if there's someone higher up on the card that's doing a super kick, but you're gonna do a super kick, or you're gonna do like six of them or something. Yeah. Like what does that? So what does that say for the other guy's super kick? It just means nothing now. You've now devalued someone later on in the card and someone that maybe drew more money than you mm-hmm. um, because you wanted to get yourself over, uh, which I think I think is a big problem. Like I I don't I don't throw super kicks, um, but I don't know. I but what what I was gonna say was like from my time like working with uh, the Soul Taker, mm-hmm. I kind of realized how many um, like. We didn't. We didn't have to do much because we were trying to just tell the story of yeah. like you know this dude's a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. I'm a chicken shit right now. Like right. I'm. I'm scared of this. This dude. You know what I mean? Um, and then like being able to like show the fans that psychology of the match and show like how much of a monster he is and like how I the only way that I can possibly win is by cheating. Yes. Like. I don't know. That's that's more interesting than like just throwing however many moves at someone for no reason. It's you know more I mean? it's more fun and it's more challenging to to it. Or it's creative stimulation as well. Like that's that's that's. I'm happy to hear that because those are those are things. That's what pro wrestling is. It's just going out there, playing off each other's characters. I used to, when I used to train people, um, I used to tell them like the the best thing you can do in pro wrestling is not acting. It's reacting. You're yeah. playing off of the other person. So if they do something, you react to them. They react to you. You're trying to protect each other at the end of the day, make sure you're both safe. You're trying to make each other look good. So you're just reacting off each other. Make your make yourself vulnerable and give yourself an opening to make them look good on you. You know, like everyone's so competitive yeah. that they forget the basics and the fundamentals and the foundation of the business, which is really technical wrestling. Where it all comes back to that, where everything is done with a with a purpose. 
You can still have dives. Bret Hart used to do suicide dives. Owen Hart, considered one of the best high flyers ever. Also one of the best technical wrestlers ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you get further along with, with guys, and even in the this new generation, mentioned AJ Styles, great technical wrestler. Not that familiar with Zack Sabre's work, but I'm sure he's done suicide dives, and yeah. he's, he's, he's an athletic guy. And I know the British style is really heavy. I mean, Will Ospreay comes from there. He's not as technical as the other guys, but... He's probably the best high flyer in the the sport right now, if not top five. So you have this 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 gap, and everyone's kind of good now. They're well rounded, but they try to get all their stuff in, and you lose sight of the whole show. You yeah. lose sight of the um, the technical aspect of uh, not just the match, but the show in general. And it's so important. And I guess a question I have for you is: How many times have you been on a show and actually worked with like? someone communicating all these things to other matches, like a producer, if you will, or an agent that's being that line of communication? Only on uh, only on very well-done shows. Like, only on very well-put-together shows. I can, uh, can literally think... I mean, I'm going to name-drop the promotions. That's fine. Uh, BCWA and uh, FGW in Ohio. Okay. And that was it. Because FGW... They do they do tapings. I mean, BCWA pretty much does tapings as well. Uh, so it's like it's more put together. Uh, okay, also uh, IBW. IBW, yeah, IBW. Um, but yeah, those pretty much that's it. Everything else just seems a little bit. I mean, not not to bear anyone. No, yeah, no. It's everyone does their own thing and they and they can. But um, I think with yeah, it, it's not bearing anyone else. You can run your promotion, you know, on your way. And being familiar with one of those, I've worked for two of those companies, and I like how IPW's ran. I am a producer in BCW. I'll call consultant, whatever the hell they call me there. Yeah. That's where my passion lies. And I guess my question for you would be, like, do you think that that helps the technical aspect of matches and the technical aspect of shows? For sure, because I like what you said, how the indie shows are like the wild, wild west, um, because... There's no oversight at all. There's no type of like this is this is what we're doing. There's no like leading into other things. Uh, I think w- when I worked on those shows that it uh, it was actually kind of like a breath of fresh air because it's like okay, like I know what I'm doing. Now I just have to figure out how me and this dude are going to translate this to the crowd. Mm-hmm. So it made my job a lot easier. I'm sure it made my uh, who I'm working with job a lot easier. Um, and it just, it's more professional, you know what I mean? Like, I just like that type of atmosphere so much more. It just, like, it, it's, it, it's being handled like this is a real business, not like this is just a free-for-all, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I think it's important, because I've, I've been on shows, um, when I was wrestling, uh, where it was you just kind of showed up, there was a handwritten card on the wall, and you would go, and you look, and they go, oh, I'm working this guy, and... You had to ask people, they'd be like, oh, just do whatever, Get, you know, just go whatever, go out there, do your whatever. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, someone comes up to you and says, oh, your match has changed. <laughs> what do you mean my match has changed? It was yeah. on the wall. And there's another handwritten card on the wall. And um, I think those shows are good to cut your teeth. Those shows are good to learn. You learn about how to work in front of uh, different crowds. You learn how to put different matches together. Um, those are the shows that I also just learned how to work because then you get to a point where you're like 10 minutes before showtime and you're on your third different opponent for the night and you're like, 
let's just go out like here. Let's here's our finish. Let's just go out there and work to our finish. Yeah, you know? and, and you and that's important to learn as well. Um, so those shows I think are very important for wrestlers to do to learn about their 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 craft and to get better on that aspect. But I think those other shows are equally important. So I always tell younger wrestlers like have a mix. Don't just work places where you're going to be stuck to one style. Get a little bit of everything in there because you're going to get better working multiple different styles. And don't stay in one place too long in a sense of like you're only working in the same four or five promotions. Yeah. Branch out. And if you've got to like say, hey, I can't make these two shows. I'm going to take these bookings here. Like do it. You might burn a few bridges along the way. But if you do it professionally, no one's going to, I shouldn't say burn a few bridges. You might spark, put some sparks on the bridge. Yeah. But you know, that fire can be put out pretty easily when you do it professionally. Um, but I think that's important for a lot of young wrestlers, and I know the game has changed a lot, um, but I think it's it's important to understand a structure and how a show builds, It's also important to know, hey, my component could change at any minute, yeah. and I just have my stuff that I'm going to do, and this, no matter who my opponent is, this is what, we're, what I'm going to do, that's what they're going to do, and we'll just go out there and figure it out. I think it helps people thinking on their toes as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not someone who's really, like, just gone out there and, like, called it in the ring. Like, what? that's something I'm working on. But, um, like, if you're at a show with 50 people, like, why not try and do that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, the worst the worst that happens is you, you fuck up, but you fuck up in front of 50 people, not 500 people or 1,000 people. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So and and you know, circling back to where we were talking here with technical wrestling, those are opportunities where that comes back to it because that's your basics, that's your foundation, those are your fundamentals. And yeah. If you do those really really well, it, you know, and they all make sense. You can go out there and have the best match in the card by just doing the fundamentals if you're a technical wrestler. Um, and those are shows that you can branch out and call it in the ring and just stick to your fundamentals and understand. Wow. Those people were into everything I did. And yeah. I think that comes back to having... When you have a strong technical base, you can do that. In Not that any other style can if you're just a power wrestler. Um, a lot of that's driven in technical wrestling psychology, though. You're building the match the same way. Every power move you do makes sense. If you go out there, you King Kong a guy for five minutes, fans are going to get bored yeah. going to your Soul Taker point. If you go out there with Soul Taker and you're chicken shit for five minutes and he just gets you one big slam and then you powder and he gets you another big slam. That's too long. You yeah. have to, you know, timing is so important for that stuff and that's where you learn when you're reading the crowd by trying that. 50 people, eh, let me try something different. Let me go out there and be a chicken shit, run around and then you'll be like, I did that too long. I didn't do that long enough. Well, yeah. There's more here. And I think those are important learning opportunities. Um, but the fundamentals you can always go back to if you're a strong technical wrestler and have the best match on the show calling it on the fly with, yeah. with strong technical wrestling. Well, I think it's, like, a good base for people. Like, I think some of the people that are, like, the best at, like, calling it in the ring are people that have, like, mastered technical wrestling. Absolutely. So, like, that, I mean, there's, like, a lot of vets, like, on the Michigan Indian scene that, like, um, I mean, like, honestly, like, even them, like, kind of, like, go to spot fest, I think, because of who they're calling their, their matches with. Yeah. Um, but, like... When I when there's there's certain people that like I'll like be practicing with like at the House of Truth or something, and I'm like holy shit like this this dude like knows this dude knows holds I've never even heard of mm -hmm. you know what I mean and then like these are people that also can call it on the fly like whenever they want, um, 
I don't know, like that's something that's something that I'm working towards right yeah. now. You know, like I want to be able to I want to be able to call it in the ring. I want to be able to um, be a better technical wrestler. Um, when I uh, I wrestled at IWA Mid South for a, okay. for like a tryout match or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't like used to wrestling in front of a crowd like that. They were like a lot more like harsh, you know. Bloodthirsty. Yeah, and I don't think that that type of crowd really wanted a spot fest. Uh, like we called what we called, and this is kind of like showing like what's wrong with just calling it and not like going with what the fans want mm-hmm. as much, you know. But um, we called it. Uh, they really didn't like it for a while, but then whenever like. Uh, there was a part where I did something technical or like a submission or something like that is when they were like, fuck yeah. Okay. And I I don't know, like at least like for myself, like I wish that I could have been able to like think more on my feet and been like, all right, we know what they want now. We know that they like more technical stuff. Like I should have been able to communicate with my partner and be like, all right, we're going to do this now. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, and that's a it's a that's a good story, great learning opportunity. To, you know, and kudos to you for working that show. That's a big indie, still is. I mean, they're not as huge as they were fifteen years ago, where that was like the number two indie probably in the country. Yeah. But they're still top ten. They're they're a household or a indie kind of an indie wrestler's household name company to work for. So awesome for you to get to work there and get that experience. And those fans are a lot more. Die Hard, but they're also wrestling fans. Yeah. They're not casual fans. They've seen it all. They've seen all the high spots. Um, so it's a, a good audience to go in front of because if, you, if, if you're if you watching, which is just Will Ospreay, we've said his name, and you see him do something really, really cool, and you're like, I want to do that in my next match. Yeah. Those same fans have seen it, and they go, you're not Will Ospreay. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. But when they see you know how to work, know how to wrestle, tell a story, be a compelling character, they're going to accept that because they haven't seen that with you. You're selling yourself to them, not your moves. Yeah. And not what moves you can do. And that goes back to uh, you know something that I always heard with, with Bret Hart, who I always go to, with technical wrestling, because he's like, you know, you're selling yourself, not your performance. So he did his moves the way he did them, because fans are going to go, hey, that guy's, everything he does makes sense. He's, he's excellent at execution. You know, he's, all his moves he does is for a reason. It's purposeful. He's believable. And he's not selling his performance where that was where him and like Shawn Michaels always kind of butted heads. And recently I heard, which I thought was a great quote, is the wrestling world would be a lot more better off if more guys wrestled like Bret Hart and less like Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, arguably the best wrestler of all time, not disputing that, yeah. but Shawn Michaels had his style, did his spots, he was more of a performer, and Brett was more of the technician, and I think for young wrestlers it's important to know that technical basis, know how to sell yourself, get yourself over, by doing your stuff, discover yourself, don't try to just mimic what you see other guys do, especially legendary status guys, because the fans are going to go, well, that's Ric Flair, that's... Shawn Michaels, yeah. that's, you know, AJ Styles, that's whoever, you know, come up with your own, make them see Drizako. Like, yeah. really is what it is. When they see it, they go, okay. You take a little bit from everybody, but you make it your own and you find out who you are. And I think you, the technical wrestling is the best way to do that. Um, because when you got a guy in a hold on the mat, 
as an opportunity for you to let your character shine out a little bit. Whether you're a good guy or a bad guy or hero, a villain, whatever term you want to use, heel, babyface, dug out a hole, you're a bad guy. There's your chance to get your heat with the crowd. You can say something, um, get your character out there. You do. You discover those little things. Then as a babyface, where you're on top, you know you're feeling good. You can still get that same. You can say the exact same words, but in a different way, and get the crowd behind you. Yeah. And still be your character as you can as a heel. Same words, different delivery, different presentation. That's the beauty. That's the psychology of it. And that's, again, the rooted in a strong technical wrestler. That's that's my uh, my <laughs> preaching on that. I feel you. Yeah, I, I've been there. I, mean, I, I consider myself a technical wrestler. And I've been on both sides. I've made a vented as a baby face. I've made a vented shows as a heel. I've had some stinkers. I've had some matches that I'm really, really proud of. And most of the matches that I'm really, really proud of are the ones where we didn't do much. We just told the story and had the crowd, and we reacted off each other and reacted off the crowd and said, okay, they like that. Let's do more of that, to your point. And and I think it all comes back to having fun and being your character and and out there and letting the, the, the basics speak for themselves to follow it up. Yeah. But, I don't know. Have, uh... What do you think about, like, how how wrestling's, like, evolved from, like, it's, like, heyday of, like, like Frank Gotch and, like, like, like that, that old-timey, like, like, that was all, like, like, really, like, like, technical wrestling, you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's very rooted in, like, like, amateur wrestling, but, um, still had, like, a bit of, like, showmanship to it, you know? Um, but, like, what do you think about how how it's like evolved over time i think it i think it was evolving and progressing so you look back in like the 40s and 50s with gotch and even like luthes it was evolving there it evolves with the times and as technology advances wrestling has to advance with it where it's at today's state at times it's not pro wrestling to me anymore it's like Performance art, I yeah. guess, would be a good word to use. It's more at times Cirque du Soleil than it is like wrestling rooted. Sometimes, like the word sport entertainment that WWE really makes sense because it's not pro wrestling. If yeah. you look at like what Gotch and Hackenschmidt and Luthez up until like we'll just put a barrier or anything before 1960, if that was what pro wrestling was, which if you have amateur wrestling, which is like high school, Olympic. Well, what does an amateur wrestler do if they want to make money? They turn pro. So should pro wrestling be that much different than amateur wrestling in that concept? Yeah. It really shouldn't. It should be what amateurs are doing, but just these guys are now making money to do it. Almost like what the UFC is or what MMA is. They're the best of the best and they're out there fighting. So in a way, grappling, and uh, I know this is called grapplings of a grappleman, but grappling... It's kind of a way what pro wrestling should be. Like yeah. when you really look at it in that context of using language of what an amateur wrestler is to what a pro wrestler is. Anything else? An amateur or any other profession, when they become a professional in that same profession, they're doing the same thing, just getting paid for it. Yeah. So as it's evolved through the years in the sixties you know, and I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying with all these different territories and, and the styles of these different countries where it just became a melting pot and everything's just together right now, which is where I think we're at. 
not to say it's going to separate back out again, but I think it'll, it's going to find itself and, and be like, this is what pro wrestling really is. And it might be what we what we see today, but I think sports entertainment definitely is the better word for what we're seeing. Yeah. And, like, the superhero influence, I mean, like, I don't know how many times you see things on TV or in a movie, and now you're seeing it in a wrestling match with two guys actually doing it. It's impressive as hell. Ricochet and Osprey, the stuff they do, it's like, is that pro wrestling, or is that more, like, sports-based entertainment? Yeah. Well, the diehard fans are gonna would, would kill me for saying that. So well, that is what pro wrestling is. That's according to Luthez, not according to, to Frank Gotch. Yeah. You know, and, and that and that's where the, the difference is. And to me, the wrestling's got to be rooted in, in in that. And technical wrestling is how you get there. If not every match in the card needs to be um, Zack Sabre Jr. style of a match or an Alberto Del Rio style of a match, because, you know, a technical wrestler of the last 10 years was trying to first guy I thought of yeah. that you, you come in so you got all these different technical wrestlers you need to have that variety you need to have that mix and that's what made 80s pro wrestling fun in WWE is because they had all these characters all over the place they had a cartoon with it and that's why I think the sports entertainment term really f- is the appropriate label for what you're seeing there and then NWA always kind of took themselves and then WCW as we're pro wrestling we're wrestling if you will yeah. And they deviated from it with Nitro because you're on TV, you're competing, you're doing all these things, so then they become more sports entertainment. And then the indies that have all followed since the Attitude Era, that late 90s era, if you will, they've all just taken, because now you've got guys wrestling that were 10. If you were 10 in 1997 at the peak, you're very influential age, you're going to do what you see on TV. So now if you're 10 in 97, you're, was it 33 in 2020? That's a long time of taking that entertainment aspect, you're further removed from 97 in 2020 than you were from 97 to 1970. You yeah. The style, of which was still more amateur-based in 1970 across the platform. You throw 27 years to 97, now you go 23 years to 2020, and a lot more has changed in 23 years than it did in 27 years. Yeah. And it's it's I think it's just a generational thing. I think it's a technology thing. Um, personally, and it's just getting away from the technical aspect, getting away from the amateur roots, and becoming more entertainment. Um, I think Japan has done a good job of staying pretty close to what pro wrestling is. Um, there are more indies coming up uh, where it is really driven of that. Um, I think what they were doing on Raw Underground recently was more what pro traditional pro wrestling is. And they had the MMA influence, but I think that's Really, what more pro wrestling is? That's just my opinion. I got a little long winded yeah. there, but uh, I don't know. What do you What do you think? Uh, well, so I guess I guess I would argue that uh, like because you said like that there's been like more change between like '97 to to now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I mean, I obviously wrestling's always been evolving. Yes. you know what I mean. Like the '80s from like 1920, big difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think that I think that kind of the biggest problem that kind of started happening was um, like everybody like there's like you eat your meat and potatoes and then maybe you have like your dessert after. Okay. I think it started becoming more like oh more and more dessert until it's like oh yeah. now all you're eating is dessert. You know what I mean? Like how are you gonna like if they're having ladder matches every night? Like, how are you going to keep out doing ladder matches until someone is dead? You know what I mean? Yes. 
and now we're in like an era like I I mean sometimes I'll watch like death matches and stuff I'm not a huge fan of death matches yeah. um but um like we're in that era of like where it's like and I think it might be society as as well because it's like you want in, the instant gratification mm-hmm. for stuff yes so it's like oh my gosh like we have to keep keep on topping this thing all the time when like i think deathmatch is like stories totally removed from it it's just a total like that's that those are that's a total spot fest it can be done well it can be you know i mean I, I was a company i worked for that would have a deathmatch every show like and deathmatches at that time were considered dead this was eight to ten years ago yeah and um but there was some guys like a guy like a brain damage and a necro butcher yeah that told stories with their death matches yeah, and yeah. now i think the new generation of deathmatch guys i think you still have like some guys in that old guard that can still do it but i think now it's more about the viral internet clip as opposed to the story yeah of the match they're looking to and maybe it started with the joey janela spot and they're all influenced by that trying to get more bookings by doing something insane that goes viral and be like, oh God, like, look at this guy, what he did, and I'll get more bookings by going viral. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's an influence, the, the technology aspect of it. I think video games played a big part in yeah. that as well. You, a lot of guys um, have video game matches where they, they don't, there is no story in, in a match in a video game. You're just going out there and yeah. doing shit. So I think, I think those things have definitely played a role in how wrestlers wrestle now, for sure. And I think that's why, to me, it's changed so much. Yeah. I think you still had the roots, and like, I'll just say 95. The roots were still there in 95. Um, but you still had that the over-the-top personalities and characters and stuff. And It needs to evolve. It, it does. You can't be doing... You can't go out there and do what you did in 1940, or it's, you know, might as well just go out there and have an MMA match. Yeah. Like, you know, then just work like work shoots. So, which uh, there is a, a company um, locally that does kind of have more of that throwback and style with the Sanctuary yeah. Fight Club. Right? Yeah, I I actually uh, was security the first uh, for the first okay. show. That yeah, it's those shows are really good. Yeah, they're more wrestling based, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't I haven't had a chance to go to them, but that was that's a concept. That I think a lot of us technical wrestling minds we think about, and then um, is it, it Dickie who's promoting there? Yeah, yeah, Dickie Bronson. So yeah, and I think he's done a fantastic job of getting something different and putting it out there. As long as he sticks to what his ideology is, yeah, that's good for him, and he needs to stick to it. The worst thing that can happen to that is when that show turns into every other indie show with spot fests. You know, yeah, I I don't think you have to worry about that honestly. Like That's good. he's uh, he he was one of the trainers at the House of Truth, mm-hmm. and he's like he's a really good technical wrestler. Yeah, like he's one of the people that I was like kind of talking about, like put me in the holds that I've never even uh, heard of. Like he was some he's someone that I'd really like to have a match with, to be honest, just because of um, like how technically sound he is, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a lot of respect for him. I think that he's. Uh, I think he's a really good wrestler. Yeah, I've, I've always admired his work. I think he's a good worker. And, um, you know, kind of goes back. We need more guys like that. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And, uh, <laughs> in locker rooms. And everything's in, in good good for him. Um, and hopefully one day, whenever this uh, this virus is 
on the upswing and, and you know more companies are back up and running that are going to focus on on that that you know you'll get your opportunity in sanctuary and and these other shows will will, will run with with safe audiences and, and protocols and things yeah. like that um yeah sick of this virus man it's ready for this shit to be over with yeah part of the reason i started this podcast is because uh i haven't had i think this is the longest i went without being on a show was uh let's see i started this in august so march august four or five months Probably the longest or second longest gap I ever had without being on a show in like fifteen years. Yeah. So you got to talk wrestling. Got to be involved in wrestling somehow, and that's where this comes from. And get to talk about it, and um, I'm happy to be able to talk about it with a like a young guy who we didn't really know each other well. We've had a few conversations. Um, you know, I had storylines for you and things like that. Yeah. So I'm really happy to get to do this with you. Get to pick your brain. Hopefully, you get to pick my brain a little bit, and we can see how I can see how your guys. Your your generation of up and comers is is thinking, and maybe you can see how some of my guys are thinking, and we can all agree, both of us can agree that technical wrestling is where it's at. Yeah, uh, for us. So, thank you for having me on. And clo- well, plug your plug your your social media oh, uh, and whatever you want. Closing thoughts you have I'll for sure. To you. Uh, yeah. So uh, if you want to follow me, uh, it's Drizeko on everything. Uh, D R I Z A K E O Instagram. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, all that good stuff, Twitter, um, and uh, if you ever need a motion graphic artist, Drizeko is a motion graphic artist. If you're a promoter out there uh, who needs any type of graphic or anything like that, I'm your man. Alright, I might have to uh, to hire you for some updated graphics that design are terrible. For sure. I'm doing it myself. But, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Any other closing thoughts you want to say? Plug, get out there. Um, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening to Ramblings of Grappleman. I think we got a lot of ramblings out between the two of us. Uh, we did for during sure. This this thing that started with technical wrestling and went into more of a deep dive <laughs> in modern day wrestling, which is you know why I love doing this. It's just a conversational piece. So thanks a lot again for listening, and we'll catch you next time down the road.